Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt, and I'm here with a couple guests. And today we're doing uh, a bit of a different podcast. We're going to be talking about poetry, which we've never talked about on our podcast before. Usually it's it's Nick Gibson and myself. Nick isn't here today. We have three great guests. Um, I'm not even... I'll let you guys introduce, introduce yourselves. We'll start with Matt. Matt, do you want to introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are? Yeah, my name is Matt Flaherty. I am the son of Tom Flaherty, a podcast guest and brother of Beth, who is a Myers-Briggs aficionado. Um, I am a teacher in Baltimore. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Beth, you want to tell everybody about yourself? You've been on this podcast before, so people know a little bit about you. Yeah. Um, and my name is Beth Peterson, and I'm an aspiring fantasy novelist in addition to having this poetry book. And then I work mm-hmm. at the UW doing sleep research and very mm-hmm. happy to be back on the podcast. Thanks for having awesome. us. Yeah, no problem. And Anne, who are you and why are you here? Hello, I am the sister of these two lovely people, and I'm um sometimes poetry writer, but we've compiled this book of poetry, but I currently live in Mexico. I'm a missionary and a teacher. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you guys for coming on the podcast. I'm excited for this one. Obviously, um, so, the, so obviously for, for the people listening, the reason that you guys are here is because you guys have written a book of poetry and it's called In Sunshine or In Shadow, Poems for Every Season. Um, I have I have a copy my wife and I have been reading through it. It's really good. We, we really like it. Um, the artwork is really cool. And so we're going to just kind of talk through how this book came to be. Um, but I guess I can, I'm going to start this out with kind of an open-ended question that anybody can jump in and answer. I guess what you guys are all siblings. And I think about me and my siblings, we would never, ever write a book of poetry together. <laughs> so like, why did what? you guys decide to do this? What inspired this? Yeah, well, I, uh, this was, this was Beth's idea originally. So Beth, why don't you take it? Cool. Uh, sure. So m- when it comes to compiling this volume, um, I had a couple of motivations. One was that our grandparents are getting older and particularly my grandpa is starting to have some cognitive decline and he's always been a huge fan of my poetry and I, and my, our grandparents are unsaved. And I knew that I had a lot of poems from across my life that kind of told my story um, of faith. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to compile them to kind of as a way of sharing that story in a medium that I thought my grandpa would find um, enjoyable and not like pushy or anything like that, but just like a window into my story of faith. And so mm-hmm. that was kind of my inspiration for pulling these together. And then I wanted to involve my siblings for a couple of reasons. One is that they also write excellent poetry. And another reason is that a lot of my poems are kind of, well, maybe not a lot, but some of them draw on some of my siblings' poems. We used to be in a poetry group together. So some of them are inspired by other ones of them. And mm-hmm. it just felt right to have them together. And then another reason is that I didn't know how to make an actual book out of my poems. And I figured involving my siblings would help make that happen. That makes sense. So I invited them. That makes sense. So, okay. So I guess 
probably right out of the gate, we should say, Matt, it, you, from what I know, you're not a Christian, right? Correct. That's right. Yeah. So Beth is saying she wanted to kind of share her faith story, but I guess like, how, how did this come to be? Because obviously you're not a Christian and yet some of the, some of your poems have been my favorite. Um, so far, not that I don't like. All, Are you sure everybody. that's okay? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess what, what was it like? What was your involvement here like? Uh, and when she came to you, if, if this is how it all went down, when she came to you and was like, "Hey, I want to write this this book, or I want to put all these poems in this book," were, were you like, "I guess this is a good idea. I'll just join," or, or what was that like? Yeah, I was I was excited about it. Um, yeah, a chance to work with my siblings, do something together, you know, now that we all have careers and we're spread across different states, like mm-hmm. um, being together, like getting the band back together for a poetry book was just a fun idea. I think I also, you know, especially um, after losing my faith, I feel like a lot of my life can get just sucked up into like... Hmm. Um, status competitions, you know, like the sure. hierarchy that that you were and Nick were talking about the other the other pod. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to take moments where you're not striving to achieve mm-hmm. um, something external, but to kind of dwell on experiences that matter to you. And mm-hmm. poetry is an excellent medium for that, for thinking about your life and creating mm-hmm. um, moments of remembrance or just enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was just really excited about the idea of sharing something with grandma and grandpa that crystallized more than just mm-hmm. the day to day and making something beautiful for them, yeah. um, before, before, while we still have the opportunity. Sweet. Yeah. And I remember being super hyped to hear that, Anne, you, your poetry is going to be in here. Cause I remember being at John and Christina's wedding and you were the the maid of honor and you, you, okay. So people can think whatever they want about this. Most of the time I am not a fan of, of like the wedding speeches and things like that. A lot of times they're all like pretty cliche and lame. And you, you read a poem that you wrote for Christina, which I guess my next question would be, why was Christina not involved in this? <laughs> was there any reason for that? But I, but I, I was excited to see, to see that you were, you were involved in this as well. So um, that was yeah. actually Beth's poem. That was, was Beth's the, poem. Yes. Wow. <laughs> With the Christina John Spawn uh, okay. classic last line. But Wait, um, did, Je- did Beth read that or did was, am I totally off oh, and all that? that was that? me. <laughs> sorry, Beth. <laughs> no, I'm no. so sorry. For some reason, my brain was just telling me that it was, that it was Anne. But that's, well, then we I was excited for you, Beth. very similar. People mess us up a lot. So it yeah. makes sense. Awesome. Well, Okay, so what? Why? Why? Why not Christina? Does Christina not write poetry, or what's what's the deal? She is. She was involved, and she was mm-hmm. our editor, and she kind of kept us. She was in the loop the whole time. Uh, however, she doesn't produce poetry like we do. Mm-hmm. We're we're all the weird ones, <laughs> and we we kind of dwell in literary abstract spaces. And yeah. Christina is a very good writer, and she has written various articles and things, but, mm-hmm. um, most of this was collecting poetry from our college years, mm-hmm. which in which Matt and I and Beth were in a poetry group together. And Christina didn't want to be a part of that group. So she doesn't yeah. have this body of work to draw from. Sure. She was yeah. too busy being 
popular and <laughs> like <laughs> successful I, yeah. I would say yeah yeah that makes sense yeah sounds like christina and she's not here to defend herself so she could you guys say whatever. um but i thought it was interesting that you guys chose to split the book up into four sections that were that were the four seasons i guess what was the thought behind that i mean there's probably a million different ways you could categorize all of these poems why did you choose to do four sections that represent four different seasons well, that anyway. was really the main driver behind reorganizing the book into seasons. So why don't you take that one, Matt? <laughs> so glad you guys asked. Um, so the four seasons, uh, you know, you can take it a different, uh, a couple different ways. Um, the way that I, I mean, on, on the one hand, there there are a lot of poems that lend themselves to seasonal imagery, mm-hmm. uh, it, talking about like fall leaves um in the wedding but um i i I like to see it as phases of life so you can see the speakers of the poetry um starting out in an intense kind of idealistic maybe a little bit more naive state um and the experiences they're describing are fraught with you know the drama the intensity of youth at the beginning, uh, maybe some missteps. Um, and as the seasons go on, um, in summer, we're kind of spreading out beyond, you know, our formative years of family and school. Mm -hmm. And in fall, we are, and at the end of summer experiencing heartbreak and disappointment. And in Mm -hmm. fall, we're gaining different perspective, um, Mm -hmm. and, and finding people and our lives are changing whether it's a career, whether it's a marriage. Um, and then winter is a time of reflection, uh, family, and also to think about what happens mm-hmm. later on, um, ending yeah. uh, the collection with death. Yeah. I. Wow. Oh, sorry. Are you still going? No. Okay. Um, I will say that I was initially very resistant to the idea of uh, changing the poems to be in the order of seasons for a couple of reasons. One was that during the first year of this project, I had spent a lot of time like carefully putting them into an order that was kind of telling the story of our lives. And I didn't want to change it to be seasons because I knew that would move some of the poems out of order chronologically for the and that was the first reason and the second reason was that conceptually it seemed strange that us in our 30s would purport to write poems about the seasons of life uh given that no one is anywhere close to winter but i was eventually persuaded that we could kind of do both and keep the core of my vision of us maturing because that was matt's Matt's idea of what the seasons were. And then it was just aesthetically very appealing to just kind of pull out the ones that had snow in them and put them together and pull out the ones that had sunshine and put them together. So, so I eventually yielded. Luckily, Andy, we never had a single argument during this. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's, that's the best part of this. Hey, look, like I commend you guys for being able to even produce something like this. I just, whenever I'm thinking about, this and in this conversation, I'm like, if me and my brothers try to do anything like it, like this, it would it would just it would just not work. It would just it we wouldn't get past the first stage of of just the idea stage. So you guys, 
it's like an amazing like act of God or something that you guys have just done. But, um, <laughs> Thank you. It did feel like that. Yeah, <laughs> it very, feel very hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, who did the artwork? So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, the artwork. I'm so glad you like it. So That's it's amazing. it's it's our guy Hamza Janjua. He okay. has an account on Upwork, and oh. so he lives in Pakistan, and. Um, yeah, I just saw his portfolio on Upwork and I reached out to him because he has this beautiful kind of minimalist aesthetic and mm-hmm. it's not overbearing. And there were so many times because I had a lot of, you know, exacting visions about like what I wanted as a creative. Um, I can't leave it alone. And mm-hmm. and Hamza, you know, he he was he was great. Like he would push back a little bit. Um, during times when he's like, you know, what if we tried this instead? You know, you can see him using his his talent, um, you know, even though like he's contracting a certain mm-hmm. way. But yeah, I, I was I felt really lucky that we were able to work with him. Yeah, no, the, I thought the artwork was was awesome. I liked I love the the cover photo, the the cover art. I get the the graphic. It's really it's really great. I mean, that was like my one of my favorite. Sometimes when Christians make something artistic and they put it out there and there's a lot of like it looks horrible and Christians <laughs> suck at being creative. And so that's one of my pet peeves of being a Christian is like, you know, Christian movies suck. Like everything it, it related. Like we used to like be the forefront of like the Renaissance and now we like make terrible movies and, and nobody wants to see anything. So when I saw that you guys had this cover and everything looks so good and it was all formatted really well, I was like, this is, this is, this needs to, people need to see this because this is amazing. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. Useful looking that. Maddie on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He cared more. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I also got to say, like, uh, uh, Christina's husband, John, uh, yeah. was also critical. Like, he was like, some of these fonts are like, not like true type fonts and they are going to look gross and cheap on Mm. uh, (laughs) like a printed book. So he was, he was instrumental as well. But yeah, Yeah. just to speak to the question about the cover, like my original idea was that there were four windows and then there was a tree in different season in each window. (laughs) And that would have been like way too busy. It wouldn't have fit the space correctly. And Hamza's like, okay, I'll take that under consideration. Then he gave Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. And I could I could um I could definitely tell that John had a little bit of influence in in this just by looking at it. I mean, if if you've seen some of the other stuff that he's done with High Point and things like that, he's very particular about the way that things are formatted and and he's very good at that. So, so shout out to John Sekatowski who used to be on this podcast all the time. Um, but okay. So, so next, I mean, so you guys have chosen a couple of poems to read and I actually think it'd be good for you, for you to actually read them on the podcast. I know that that might make all these, all these, uh, people, I mean, I mean, I'll probably feel a little bit uncomfortable, but like, whatever, that's probably good. You know, it's probably good for people to listen to poetry more and things like that. So, um, (laughs) and you, you have one chosen here. Do you want to like read it out and then kind of just give us a, Give us an insight uh, into your writing process and 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 why you chose this this uh, this poem. Uh, sure thing. Yeah. Uh, I to speak to my process first of all. I like to take kind of a snapshot of a feeling when I feel something very intensely or have a 
moment of delight. I I try and crystallize it in my mind, this feeling, and try and put it into words or paint a picture in words of how I was feeling at the time so that I could remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is an example of one of those. So uh, let me find the document. Cool. Yeah. Night falls on a river town. Church bells chime the five o'clock hour. A wintry dusk descends. The days melting fogs the air between the bell itself and the song it sends. Hoary trees fade back to black. Venus peeks over the ridge. Muddy slush, a little water, turn back to ice on the lake trail bridge. The dark creeps over her rightful domain to reconquer the thaw of the light. With a cool breath out, a reach of her finger, she tucks us back in, whispers, good night. So... What is that? Yeah, I guess you can you can go. I I didn't mean to cut you off. I didn't know if you were gonna say something next. But do you want to explain I, that? I definitely can. Sure. So, okay. um, I went to school in Winona, which is on the river, uh, the Mississippi River. And just one night, I was walking home from class. It was getting the temperature was dropping suddenly. It had been like a warm winter day, and but as soon as it got dark, it just got really cold, and mm. you could see the stars, and it was just kind of a moment of awe, mystery, and the bells started ringing. And so I wanted to capture that in a poem. And that was my attempt. And so many times I do that when I am feeling mostly sad, actually, when I feel sad or confused or hurting in some way, I feel like I have to capture it in a poem to kind of crystallize what it is. Yeah. And actually when this, sorry, when this, uh, Poetry Project started, Matt and Beth, who were the main editors and drivers of all of it, they required new poems of me. They're like, okay, we need a summer poem or we need a love poem. And I hadn't even written poems for a long time because I had been happily married for six years and I had never had that moment when I was like, ah, I'm just processing something that's really hard. And so it was nice to write some happy poems too for the book. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I guess when, when, when you, I guess, experience one of these moments where you're like, I needed to, to actually write some poetry about what, what I'm seeing or what I'm experiencing, what's the actual process literally like, like pen to paper? How do you even start? Cause I mean, I'm thinking about like, I I've dabbled in, in writing poetry. I'm not going to pretend like I'm even halfway decent at it. And I don't even know if I'm like breaking all the rules when I'm doing it, but, it, but how do you literally go from having an idea about a poem to actually writing it out and like figuring out how to organize each sentence and, and how you, and how you format the 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 poem how do you do it well it it depends i mean sometimes i read other people's poems and if i like their structure then i pick a structure like a Mm -hmm. sonnet is 14 lines a b a b rhymes and then it helps to kind of have a structure where you're going and then you fill the words in Mm -hmm. and then sometimes when it's just free verse i just kind of type. I like to type it. I see what comes out and then I move it around and see if there's word pictures that are better or worse and Mm -hmm. kind of tinker with it. It's not the same. Matt and Beth? 
I just need to say that asking Anne how about her process is probably a bad place to go because she's something of a linguistic genius and it just sort of flows out in a way that uh, can make other people jealous, not to name yeah. names. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think it helps. Um, it helps a lot to have an experience. Um, and I guess the way that I think about it is a feeling that I want to communicate as Anne was talking about. And um, sometimes if I know I want to write a poem about a subject, I'll just write down the subject and let it marinate for a while. And then what I'll try to brainstorm is concrete images or, or um, in, in more biographical work, you can think of like memories to attach to it. And yeah, poetry, poetry happens in the image um, and not just the, you know, the words spinning the idea. Mm -hmm. So I, I like to brainstorm those and let my subconscious work after I've got like, like a topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, for me, it's a uh, kind of similar in that, you know, you have something that you want to convey in a poem or some emotion that you want to work through. And then I usually decide at the beginning if it's going to have a form or a certain number of syllables per line or if it's going to have a rhyme scheme. And like some of mine are free verse. So I just write and it just comes. But mm -hmm. like other ones, especially if it has a rhyme scheme, I'll just I'll write a line and then I'll look up. Uh, I'll go to rhyme zone and find like a list of words that rhymes with that. And then I'll pick one that relates to an idea that I think I can fit into the poem and then just kind of structure the lines around that to, to fit those rhymes in. So that's yeah, that makes my sense. process. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I always find it interesting when I, I don't know if I've ever told the story on this podcast, but when I was in high school, I rarely ever actually went to high school, but when I went, I would, I went to my, my senior year, I had this, uh, creative writing class and there was a, we did a, a unit in it, uh, of poetry. And I was like, I am not, I was like, I'm not right. I'm not doing no poetry. Like I'm, I will see you later. And she, my teacher was like, can you please try to, to do a little bit of poetry? And I was like, fine. And I ended up being, I guess, according to my teacher standards, which I don't know what this means, but being like really good at it and like ended up being, being able to like teach other students how to do poetry and things like that. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I think the thing that I loved about it was that I didn't feel like there were any, I always struggled with editing like essays and things. Cause I never knew. I just put commas in everywhere. No matter, like if no matter what, I was just like, Oh, if I, there needs to be a, a comma here probably. So I just put a comma in there. Um, and I just wasn't good at, at figuring all of the punctuation out. And I felt like in poetry, you were, you, there was some freedom to kind of work outside of the, the general writing rules. And I think that's why I had fun because I, because it was, less controllable. I, and I don't know if that means that I was doing it the wrong way or if I was doing it the right way and, and I was just a natural, I don't know, but yeah. I think the right maybe there way. is no right way. Yeah. It's just what maybe. works for you. Yeah. I don't know. And that is what is wonderful about poetry. It's using language in different ways, inventing new things, taking out periods and capital letters to push thoughts together that 
you know, you don't exactly know how they go together and that's okay in poetry. It just leaves more open. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. The, Matt, yeah. you ahead. have th- this next, this next poem on here is yours, correct? Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to read through that and kind of talk about it a little bit? Absolutely. Cool. So this poem is called The Sun Prince Rises. Mm-hmm. Jaw clenched with resolve. I marched to Professor Krug's office, determined to hold her to account, or perhaps to foment a small revolution to preserve my legacy as a Shakespearean scholar. Much as Prince Harry waited patiently under his father's scorn, only to arise as the burning sun, who doth permit the base contagious clouds to smother up his beauty from the world, that when he please again to be himself, being wanted, he may be more wondered at by breaking through the foul and ugly mists of vapors that did seem to strangle him. Professor Krug meets me with steely poise when I drop my gauntlet. You gave me a B minus for this masterpiece of my imagination. I leave unsaid because surely having read my paper once will be enough for her to understand. When Professor Krug doesn't seem rattled and invites me into her office, I'm unprepared for seemingly friendly advice about how I could learn to dig into the text. Feeling stunned from this unexpected reversal, I suddenly realize my war has multiple fronts. I must slay this new text dragon before SA2. Yet, today's battle is not done. I will not go quietly into the night. Nay, I shall smite one parting blow to this silver and black-haired empress on behalf of youthful genius. But you you didn't tell us. You didn't show us how. You set us up to fail. I blurt out. Exhausted by my final blow, I burst into tears. Professor Krug hands me tissues, then looks me in the eyes. Your grade is your responsibility. You can do it. I rise. I could listen to to you read poetry like before I go to bed every night. That was great. <laughs> Can I have a recording of that? Because my students have to listen to me reading aloud uh, a lot. That, so that was. Yeah, are you guys, I would like to advertise that to them. Are you guys ever going to do like a audiobook, or have you done that? Yeah. Uh, so glad you asked. It's in the works. Um, nice. So yeah, it'll be released before Thanksgiving. Yeah, awesome. all the all the recording is finished. Sweet, cool. Well, what I mean, obviously, it's it's kind of like it's straightforward as to what is going on in this poem. But I guess why did you choose to? What was it? What was the inspiration behind this? So, one of we got some feedback for an earlier draft of this book, and one of the questions um, a reviewer asked us was like, could we have the poem speaking to each other a little bit more? So mm. Beth has a poem in this, and that was in the first version where she is 
talking about how she kind of idolized me as an older brother, like mm-hmm. kind of went into uh, who went into life with much applause. And so, so our reviewer was like, Hey, what does it feel like to be viewed as a demigod? it turns out that it feels very complicated because you go into college you you know i i kind of went from high school kind of a bigger fish in a smaller pond and i'm in the university of minnesota and uh you know i get lost on the first day of school like and i end up in the wrong class and and here i am you know, having been told that everything I do like is pretty impressive and um, yeah. And reality can, can stun you a little bit. Um, and, and so that's kind of this moment of um, yeah. If, if you grow up thinking of yourself as a demigod, you reality hurts you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. And that excerpt is from a bigger poem about his whole kind of, realization falling down a few notches of i guess i'm not a super genius i'm just a regular genius but i still have to work at it (laughs) yeah that makes sense yeah well i guess okay so so one of the interesting thing about things about poetry and i guess art in general especially as it relates to especially if the art relates to something that's really personal about the artist is that you have to release it for a lot of people to see and you got to let them into your life in a way that the average person probably would never allow. And so what was that? What's that like? Now you got all these poems in here about all these different times in your life. You're like, like some of them are written in like high school and you know, like I don't, talk about my high school life that often for, <laughs> and I don't think a lot of people do, you know, for, for obvious reasons, but you guys are like, let's, let's put this out there to the public. And I, what's that like for you um, to, to kind of put yourself out there? You know, is that int- weird or how do you feel about that? Well, I would say um, our, our heritage is Irish. So we come from, we come from like family reunion settings where we are all like doing like a skit or something. And we all love to kind of hear ourselves talk. I, me, so me more than others, I would say <laughs> Anne and Beth are a little, more, a little more selective and uh, you know, the world benefits from their selectivity. Um, so, you know, we have that, that piece where sharing something personal from yourself in a family setting uh is is something we're used to on the one hand and and i uh for me like i uh made some of my poetry especially this stuff that i wrote more recently rather than decades ago in college i upped the personal ante because um i was particularly inspired by a poetry collection um by uh, a woman named sarah Kay who uh whose poetry collection no matter the wreckage used biography kind of unapologetically in um in creating these moments of intimacy particularly with people she loved um like her her brother and other places and and that space of the vulnerable is Mm -hmm. it just made me feel like i was getting to know the speaker better and it 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 I, I, I love the idea of getting to know people through their work. And so I wanted to give readers more of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, for me, I feel like there's a certain uh, distance with poetry and a certain safety that comes with that. Like if I can take this highly personal experience and like give it some pretty imagery and put it in a structure with some rhyme and like use it to make this bigger point, like then it doesn't really matter so much that it's me or even if it's a hundred percent true, like I, like if I was a hundred percent behind all of those lines in the moment, like that's kind of irrelevant because I can kind of, I was putting myself in that headspace for the, for the act of creating that poem. And so, um, I feel like that can be helpful and it can also be a really helpful way to work through, uh, really difficult um, situations that you might not feel comfortable talking through. Um, yeah, so I have some in there that are like that. Uh, one mm -hmm. of which I can read next when we cool. are ready for that. Great. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I mean, first, I guess, Anne, what's your, how does that feel for you? Uh, sure. Um, I, I, do I love the written word and I honestly don't mind what strangers know about me. So it really, the really only thing that I have to think about is, is there something in here that a friend wouldn't want me to say about them? The, the only thing I really worry about is what I'm saying about other people. But um, when I read, I notice that the more specific and vulnerable someone is, it almost becomes more universal and it's easier to connect to. And mm -hmm. so when I'm writing, I think of that, not that this is just my story. I always think this is a lot of people's story or this is a lot of people's problem. So if I can write it in such a way that someone else can see themselves in it, it's offering them a way to process something maybe that they haven't thought about before and sure. for me it's worth it we've always been very open so i i don't worry about it too much yeah no that yeah i, I get that and obviously like i mean being i'm not that i want to compare podcasting to poetry because there's a lot of differences but a lot of people Definitely. listen to this podcast and know a lot more about me <laughs> Then right. I probably even want them to know about me, but I just don't think about it. And so, I mean, it, it, it is some sort of act of, of, of bravery in some ways to be like, Hey, look, I'm just going to throw like, especially with poetry, which can be incredibly intimate. And, um, and you're kind of, you're showing the romantic side of yourself in, in, in how you put, uh, words together and how you interact with, with language, which is, just really interesting and and it's and i i don't think i mean i like to do podcasts and just say what i think about things i it's gonna be a while till i release my uh my poetry book you know so <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little bit more more intimate but beth you said you had a you had a poem that you wanted to read now yeah i'll just read uh just an excerpt from it so this is this is called broken broken weeping bowed alone ashamed I pull myself together piece by piece and stand and fight and break myself again. Will I never learn to be at peace, accept my limits, know that I am weak? Will the striving and the breaking never cease? Will I make for every mountain peak, denying all that's past and all ahead, pretending this will be the time I speak, reality silenced? Alas, but I have tread this path before, already made this stand, it ends in breaking, tears, defeat, and dread. 
the peak far off, and all my fears at hand. So the poem goes on, but I'll just I'll just stop there. Yeah. Um, and what I wanted to say about this one is I wrote it when I was, so this was after I was diagnosed with MS and I was encountering limitations with my body that I hadn't had before. And I kept trying to do things that I used to be able to do and I wasn't able to do them as well or as long. And I was just so frustrated this one day because I had lost this game of spike ball. <laughs> which probably sounds silly, but, but I had lost it. And my like feet had kind of stopped moving in a timely way. And I just felt like I was never going to be able to win. And I was never going to be able to do the things that I wanted to be able to do. And I wasn't adjusting to these new limitations that I had. Um, so it was kind of a very dark moment for me, but being able to put it into this poem and have it, um, have this imagery and be something beautiful, even though the end isn't really uplifting, <laughs> uh, yeah. was really helpful for me. Um, sometimes people say things about tragedy. Uh, I heard somebody say this on a TV show. I think like there's no rhyme or reason to it. And like, why do people say rhyme? Because that's stupid. Like how would rhyming make it feel better? But for me, rhyming does make it feel better a little bit. Uh, cause it just, it makes something beautiful out of something really hard. So, yeah. Well, yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot there and there's a lot that I didn't uh, you know, I, it's, it's, I like talking to you guys about this. This is so when I think about when I think about you guys, I have a really good relationship with um, with your dad, Tom, who has been on this podcast. He's we've done we've talked about a bunch of different things with him on here, and uh, and whenever I talk to his kids, I find that you guys are all much more interesting than he is. So <laughs> I, I appreciate all of you guys. And this poetry this is all just super interesting to me. I, I just love this. So um, I guess to move forward, you, you guys grew up. Um, well, I guess I'll start by saying this. One of my, one of the most, um, interesting and probably one of my favorite poems in the book so far, uh, that I've read is this voluntary defeat, uh, which is one of Matt's, um, I guess, Matt, do you want to give us a, I guess you could read it to us first if you wanted to, and then kind of give us an insight into, in, into that poem or, or you could just talk about it if you don't want to read it right now. It's up to you. Yeah. I, I'd love to read it. Um, sweet. This voluntary defeat. Those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Overwhelmed, I'm falling victim to myself. With shame for these doubts I once defied, I cling on as my earth quakes, unraveling, holding on to what I know is breaking. The mirror is showing me a heartless face, empty as my light slips away, bowing down in pieces I resign. Shadowed by trails of stardust left behind, I fall from grace. 
So do you want to, I guess, do you want to kind of give us a, in what, what, what was that like? I guess, so this is obviously about you walking away from, from your faith. And I, I felt like this was one of the most, I'm trying to find the right words to say, like one of the most intellectual, one of the most thought provoking, a lot of people I've known, I mean, not a lot of people, but some of my friends and people that I've known growing up walk away from their faith and they do it for what seems to me to be really like simplistic reasons. Like I want to have sex with my girlfriend and like, I don't care about like what the, the Bible sounds stupid or old or whatever. This, this seemed to be more thought probably like there was a lot of thought put into this and there was a lot of emotion put into this. And so I guess what was, what was this whole experience like walking away from your faith? I'm sure it was a long, a long process, but what was this all like? Yeah. I, I mean, it was, you know, it was a series of, of questions that I, that I kept following. I think the one that started, it was like, why would a good God want to torture people forever in hell? And it was just something I was having a hard time wrapping my head around as somebody who, who kind of, likes human beings you know i i went into teaching because i think you know we we have potential even when we're kind of narcissistic assholes in in high school uh yeah. um but um so it was a series of questions and what i wanted to capture with the poem um was just how it felt how how that process felt because as it starts you feel divided in yourself um there's a part of you that is asking questions that feels like it's betraying because betraying the part of you that has a relationship with God. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's scary. Uh, you feel like what you have trusted is, is slipping away. And, and there are different times, like it would oscillate for me. There were times when I felt like, like, Hey, um, like, what I'm doing, like a friend of mine said in a college Bible study, like if God is truth, a search for truth will reveal God. And so there mm -hmm. were times that I felt sort of comfortable, like going in and I grew up with a lot of love, a lot of unconditional acceptance. So like I, there were times when I felt sort of like, you know what, asking questions is, is okay. But there were other times when you feel like you're losing this world that you loved, um, mm -hmm. And yeah, the imagery of trails of stardust left behind a world in which you are, you know, surrendering to something greater than yourself. And there is beauty and so many meaningful experiences that you've had with it. And you feel like you're losing touch with that and losing touch with a relationship with God. That's kind of because mm -hmm. that for me was a very personal relationship that mm -hmm. structured a lot of what I cared about. And who I was as a person. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the experience that the poem is trying to capture. Yeah. I mean, I think so. One of the interesting things. Um, the, so, Beth, you started out this podcast by saying you wanted to make a have a kind of put all your poetry together because your grandparents aren't Christians and 
maybe I assume that maybe you were thinking this could be a way that that we could show them the gospel through poetry and things like that. Is that is that somewhat what was behind your first initial thought process, or am I? Wrong yeah, there? I mean, I would I wouldn't necessarily say it was a way to show them the gospel. I mean, I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with what the gospel is, um, but in this yeah. case, I wanted to share kind of my journey because I went through a lot of the same. Um, stages is Matt in terms of having a lot of questions and being really skeptical of a lot of things that it felt like people around me took for granted or didn't want me to question. And I went through a phase where I thought, well, maybe Christianity isn't true and I'm going to invest in these other things, like just in case I don't want my whole life to be based on a lie. Um, Mm -hmm. And then through that season I eventually came to feel the insufficiency of a worldview that doesn't include God. Um, And to, and I, I was kind of drawn back and I liked presenting my poems in combination with Matt's um, because he chose a different way. And I don't want to be like preachy or just like, or present this issue as if there's only one way to look at it. I kind of want, I like that people can see that people made different decisions here and that they can weigh for themselves, like Matt's story and my story and Anne's very solid faith journey together and kind of see for themselves what draws them or what they think is true or what is the most uh, meaningful or true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll say not that this probably would mean anything to you, Matt, but I think that this, that your, that this poem, this, it, um, I, I appreciate, I think I, I, when I, after I read it, I was like, I really appreciate the way that you take this so seriously. I think a lot of people just throw, throw, th- I, I, I've seen people my age who are younger, just kind of throw their faith out as if it never existed to begin with. And as if, it, if it, as if it didn't matter. And it feels like you took, it feels like you take this incredibly seriously, more seriously than a lot of Christians that I know even take their faith that they believe that they have right now. And it feels, it feels like you really take that seriously. And so I, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I think that that's really, that that's great. I, I just, like that and i think that's really great so i appreciate appreciate it man yeah Yeah. i that's how i was raised and yeah i still i still feel and now i'm you know on the on the coast like went to like liberal universities and like i hear people talk about christians sometimes with sort of like some like you know cheap discussions about like you know whether they're being blinded or politically or whatever. Mm. And, you know, like what faith was to me was a commitment to trying to be a better person that, and, and trying to transform your life. And I think, you know, I think a flourishing society needs more institutions where people have moral seriousness Mm. and earnestness about something that's other than their own ambition. Mm. Um, which is one of the reasons I'm a teacher. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, did so I haven't read all the poems here, so maybe I'm just asking a question that is totally clearly obvious. But for, for Beth and Ant, did you did you guys write any poems? And I guess watching Matt 
leave the faith. Were, were, did you guys write any poems or have any feelings around that where you were like, I need to write something out about this and my perception of this whole entire situation? Because I'm sure it it had a, an impact. I mean, I've got a brother who has, has walked away from his faith and it's, yeah, we, I mean, I, I, I think about it and it's like, you're like, it's, it can be confusing and things like that. So did you, did you guys write any poems on it? Or did I just not read the whole book yet? And you're just like, wait till definitely, you get there. We definitely did. And okay. yes, it had a seismic impact on the family. And I think all of us a different way processing it. Um, yeah, Matt was our hero. He's the oldest and just big extrovert, big personality, magnetic. And so we, we were all in his shadow, essentially the pastor's kids and, um, on the worship team, you know, all that kind of thing. And so it was definitely a major, um, questioning time for us, especially because Matt was thinking about it so seriously. And he was very thorough in all his critiques of, uh, you know, the things wrong with Christianity as a system and the church, you know, the Bible, just point by point. And so all of us three sisters, we had to wrestle through everything. And my dad too. I mean, he, that's produced a bunch of his work about annihilation and other things, um, digging into some of these same questions. And so, although, um, yeah, we came to different answers and in the end we all reaffirmed our faith. Uh, it, it changed, it changed our family, but um, yeah, and we still, we're still processing that. Yeah, that makes sense. But one yeah. of my poems is called Superman, and that's about that. Okay. The poem is actually titled Presumption. Sorry, it's called Presumption. <laughs> well, okay. you have two that are very similar, two. that are both kind oh, of about that. Okay, yeah. Beth would know better. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I spent a lot uh, of time what, what with the poems. That? Yeah. What was that like for you, Beth? I mean, you, you said that you looked up to Matt. So, so was I like, Oh yeah, absolutely. And having him like before Matt left the faith, like I had questions, but they didn't seem like really serious or threatening or like there were some answers that felt good enough. Um, but when he actually left, it kind of it just made it suddenly feel like, oh, this thing that I thought was our foundation is not as secure as I thought. And it really made me examine my faith in a different way and uh, for many years. And I do have some poems in here that are kind of related. Psalm is me working through some of these questions and issues. And um, my brother is about... Matt leaving the faith and maybe I should follow him or maybe not. Um, and then I also wrote a short story that was kind of on this subject. And Anne has a whole chapter in her, in her book, which has not been released yet. <laughs> so the different, obviously a different book, right? Yes. Not. Uh, kind of a memoir kind of thing. Okay. Well, well, yeah. So oh, I think um, it definitely made us all feel less like our family was less unified than it had been before. Like we were kind of united in this mm-hmm. purpose and this belief. And then mm-hmm. suddenly it was uh, 
something to be questioned and something that wasn't wasn't safe. And I think the fallout was most impactful probably because of the effect that it had on my parents and the way that they parented me as a Christian and like the fear that they had that they had done something wrong with Matt or that they needed to like take extra care with me. And then I was not about that because I was going (laughs) to make my own choices and my own decision. And they couldn't just force me to believe what they did. And so, um, so it was definitely very impactful. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's just so interesting. I think the dynamic, the family dynamic is, is really interesting. I think a lot of times, I I found for myself within my family we have a bunch of different opinion theological opinions and I, I can imagine it's probably similar to I've been around the Flaherty family. There's with Tom being the the father, you can you can imagine there's a lot of opinions and and things like that, and it's really great. It, it's it's awesome. Um, I always love hanging out with with everybody from from the from the Flaherty family, but and because I think it feels similar to the way that I grew up, where I mean everybody has opinions and and nobody's afraid to say them. And um, I think that sometimes Christians get too caught up in the. Um, I think what I like about this book, especially as it relates to this whole topic of of. Uh, I guess faith, but also I think it it relates to the topic of of family and you guys seem to have a, a very tight knit family, regardless of, of, of a certain different differing opinions on how to do life and things like that. That's a, I'm realizing now, and I'm only 23 and Andrea and I are having our first kid and, probably oh, congrats, in a couple man. weeks or something like that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, whenever the, whenever he decides to come out, um, <laughs> we're, we're having him. So, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think through like how to set a family culture and things like, what, like how do you build a family? And, um, I'm realizing that it's, it's probably much, much, much more difficult to, um, build a family culture that is in some ways, uh, they all hold to certain values, but also is open enough to having different opinions on things. And I feel like, and maybe it's taken a, a full lifetime for the Flaherty family to get to a place like that. But I feel like whenever I'm around you guys, there seems to be an openness to new ideas and conversation, but also a really strong conviction towards what you, what you guys all believe. Now I'm not saying I'm really around Matt and Anne all the time, but I feel like I'm, I'm around Christina and, and Tom and, and Alice and, and, and Beth sometimes as well. So I think that that's really interesting. And, and I, I think that that's great. And I think that this book kind of shows that in a certain way. So, yeah. That's just in my opinion. I, I'm, I'm not asking you guys a question, so I don't expect you guys to respond <laughs> with anything. But, um, but, but I think that that's great that you guys have that family culture. So, yeah. It is true that it, it didn't come all at once. It was a, a big shock no. uh, to the whole family. Uh, those of us who are more uh, introverted, kind of shut down. And I think really props to Matt for building the bridge back. He's so extroverted and such a feeler. He was just like, guys, it's not okay. I'm still your family. We have to find ways to talk about things and find ways to be okay with things. And so, um, yeah, we, we kept pushing through, just kept having hard conversations. And, Mm -hmm. and the more you have them, well, 
they get a little less hard. <laughs> they get a little less hard. They're still pretty no, hard. They're still pretty hard. <laughs> Never mind. Sometimes uh, they get harder. Really hard. Sometimes they get harder. Sometimes you learn to uh, avoid them. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh. But having love for each other underneath it all yeah. is very important. A very important commitment to, to have in the family. Like, mm-hmm. even if we have these really hard conversations, I still love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one thing for me, like I love connecting with people. I love to talk about everything, to be on the same page. And, you know, part of my growth process, especially during like, you know, the pandemic and when like in the politics and race and all this stuff was like blowing up with a church and everything like, you know, and I, I've got convictions and my family has convictions too, like just realizing that you always want to lead with love. You want to lead with, this is what my dad was talking to me about the other day. Like you always want to go for the goal that, that you're trying to build up instead of, uh, and always checking your ego, right? There's people love to be right. So how do you, how do you talk to people without needing to win the the argument and without needing them to change i think what was stressful for beth like was that fear when there's when there's fear there's a pressure on somebody else to change and i that's something that i've had to kind of work through and examine myself like where are there moments when i'm afraid or like i i want my family to have a different opinion whether it's about the poetry book or some <laughs> political hot button issue like how can you let go of that fear and 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 step into that place of trust so it's just a question of you know being curious about where they're coming from right and i think especially it's especially difficult when all of mainstream media is trying to do the opposite oh it's trying to pin people up yeah. against each other and and like the whole goal, like marketing today is is divisiveness because that's what's going to drive analytics up. I mean, I'm in the right. media world and it's it's like, I mean, the whole purpose of Optive and what I'm trying to build with Optive is a platform where people can bring different opinions to the table and we don't hate each other after we have the conversation. And that seems like I've talked to people about this in, uh, in Minneapolis and to try to like get funding and things like that. And I'll bring the idea to the table and they'll, they'll like look at me like I'm insane. Like, why would you ever try to do that? Like the, the model that we're doing right now, you know, the Fox news model, it works, man. Straight getting everybody pissed at each other. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I understand what they're saying from a, from a, from a pure, uh, capital standpoint, making money, you're like, yeah, that really does work. But I think there's a huge portion of Americans and Christians and people in all different religions who are kind of sick and tired of not being able to have civil, like leaving conversations with people that they know that they love feeling really mm-hmm. dirty and disgusting. Mm-hmm. And because, yeah. because they've just, we've been programmed into being like divisive robots and things like that. And so the, the, yeah, I, I, I've said this like 50 times in this podcast. People are just getting annoyed. But I think the beautiful thing about this book is that as it as you guys talk about faith and walking away from faith and coming back to faith or whatever that is, there seems to be an open there, – there's an underlying assumption of, of love 
And it's not just this weak, flimsy love that's just like, hey, we, we, we're, you know, we both like the same things. No, it, it's like a sacrificial, com- committed love, and and that that kind of binds your family together. And I think that that's an important thing for for not just families, but I think Americans and people all over the world to to learn. And they could, they could, they could learn it from this book if they just bought it. You know what I'm saying? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's my marketing uh, for you. But um, is there other poems that you guys want to read here? I know there's a lot on this page, and we can read through all of them if you want to. I mean, I've I've got no time limit, but it's up to you guys. No comment. But my question, Beth, would be. Would you like to read that excerpt from Beyond? Sure. Yeah, I'll read that. Okay. Should we talk first about your question before was, you know, why should Christians write poetry? And I thought that was an interesting question to maybe touch on and then we could end with Beyond. Oh, yeah. We could totally go into, I mean, we could, do you want me to do, um, would it be helpful if I did, are you talking about question nine? Maybe oh, not. Maybe not talking about yeah, question nine. Possibly. I'm not looking that at it That one's about now. younger generations. Yeah. Oh. Um, do, are you talking about? Um, for some, there's a lot of pages here. There's there's 14 yeah. pages on this document. Sorry about that. No, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> I added some more. Uh, it's on no, you're good. page five. At oh, the okay. end, I'm on the rock. It rocks. says, "Oh yeah, right before presumption, it says, why is it important for Christians to write poetry?'" And Beth. So yeah, let's do that. Why is it important for Christians to write poetry? Well, I was thinking about it last night and not just poetry, but any art, uh, music, movies, books, all of these things are vehicles by which we communicate meaning and our truth as we understand it, uh, beauty. And so if we don't participate in creating art, then people won't understand what's really making us, what's making our hearts beat, what's motivating us, our purpose, how we see life. Like Beth was saying, she wanted our grandparents to understand us a little bit because we only, you know, see them at holidays, but to see inside of our hearts, how we process tragedy, how we process um, beauty, what it means to us. And so I think, um, Christians should participate in making all kinds of art because there are some things you simply cannot understand by having a conversation with just words because Mm -hmm. it's so much more than words. Mm -hmm. Um, It's beyond, Mm -hmm. uh, beyond just mental. It has to be emotional, spiritual to communicate those spiritual things. And there's, giants of the past like Milton and Paradise Lost and Dante and his Inferno is people's meditation trying to expand the worldview so that people that are wondering what what do Christians even think there's mm-hmm. they should have a wealth of information or ways to see oh this is what losing paradise really means you know maybe in the bible it's like four sentences but Milton's poem is I don't know, maybe 12 books long or something. So it's just extending that meditation and you can learn so much from each other, from the past and going forward, leave a legacy for the future. So that's why it's important to create. 
I think sometimes for me, writing a poem can be an important part of my worship. Um, you know, we are instructed to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. And I think poetry is one way in which those things come together um, for me. And some of my poems, um, you know, if no one else reads them or learns anything from them, I still feel like I've expressed that to God. And I feel like that can be important. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally. Um, I mean, obviously, the first person to come to mind biblically is is David, right? When we think about poetry, because like the entire Psalms or a lot of them uh, are, are just his poetry. And, and a lot of it's worship. Then there's some lament and all these different types of emotions. And I think for people like myself, um, especially because my wife and I are very – we struggle with feeling emotions. And so um, – <laughs> Poetry has been a been a way in where we can kind of write poetry back and forth to each other about how we feel about each other. And it, I don't know, it works for us. And people wouldn't <laughs> expect that maybe, but it works. Like we, we really, I think we both like it. I, I enjoy it. It's very, it is, it is, um, it's just very, yeah, I don't, I've never really thought about why it works for us, but I just think we're probably emotionally like dead in certain ways and, it, and like we need a lot of, we need a lot of help in growing in that area. And, uh, writing poetry just seems to be a way that we can, we can connect with each other. Um, and it's great. And I, I'd encourage people to do it. I think my, my, one of the final questions I have on here is that it does feel like the younger generations, my, my generation, even some of the, the younger millennials. And I mean, even the millennials as a whole and probably Gen Xers. Yeah. I don't know, maybe boomers too. So maybe everybody, but it feels <laughs> like everybody. like people like like it does feel like poetry is becoming a lost art, and that you don't. I don't know. I don't hear much about poetry. I don't know many people who who write a lot of poetry. I guess my question is, why why does it matter? And I know we kind of just talked about why does it matter that Christians write poetry, but but in general, why does it matter that the the art of poetry continues to be practiced? I would say um, it's precisely because we are so busy and we have so many competing things uh, trying to get our attention, whether it's, you know, a clickbait headline designed to wind you up and make you upset or whether it's an incredible $60 million per episode installment of the rings of power um which i thought was great i mean i had some questions about the end did it get a little sentimental uh but i love the reveal of uh sauron um there there's so many things to pay attention to and and the ability to take some time and really connect with yourself um is something that is rare and it's something that's precious and that's one thing that poetry can do. It forces you um, to pause, to to note how you feel. Poetry doesn't work if it's not coming from a place uh, that that is experiential in some way. Instead mm-hmm. of being caught up in the rush of things to do, to sit and and listen and and let your imagination work a little bit. It's it's a little more independent than just sitting passively in front of a a television and 
everyone should be so privileged to have enough time to write a poem every month or to or to listen to somebody's experience with curiosity and just see what see what it evokes for you another person has noticed and suffered and and loved and cared and it's just it's fun to see for me like when i read poetry like what has somebody else uh cared about and how did they care about how did they notice it um it's it's an incredible privilege yeah and i wouldn't lose all hope it's not totally dead usually poems are just set to music and there are amazingly beautiful songs being written uh, i think of one christian song that i think is a work of genius poetry is so will i uh which goes from creation to nature to the souls of every living being. And it's a very well put together poem with like words that just hit you every time you hear it. And so there are poems being written. And I think, but sometimes it's a tragedy that people that are very gifted musically Mm -hmm. write songs that are almost meaningless or just have just the barest layer of meaning. Just Uh, so repetitive also. So repetitive. (laughs) And, and so you do feel that there is something being lost that people aren't quite being trained enough in getting to those second levels of meaning or making a spiritual connection. And they're, they're just making music for music's sake. Yeah. But it's so catchy and it's so catchy. If you ever one listen that, to Fall Out Boy. Wait, one that we laugh at is from the Hobbit movie, I See Fire Under the Mountain, I See Fire Burn in the Trees. It's just super literal. It's exactly literal. There's no other meaning. He's just looking at fire. And that's but it. it sounds so cool. But it sounds really cool. It sounds amazing. Ed Sheeran's a genius. Let, let's not be the pot that impugns Ed Sheeran's genius. It is a dragon. That's what that's what they're seeing. It's a dragon. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, Beth, did you have any anything you wanted to say about that question? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they covered it. Um, I think there's a there's an intellectual richness that come that can come from poetry that you don't always get in songs, but sometimes you do. So um, I I wish we had more of that in the church. In, in many different aspects, just in general, uh, more more intellectual richness would be great. And poetry is just one form. So I wouldn't say that like everybody needs to be writing poetry or reading it necessarily. I, I understand that it doesn't appeal to everyone, but in whatever form of art, um, I think yeah. striving for more, more depth is great. Yeah. So, yeah. I think a lot of Christians would probably agree with me in saying that books like the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings really informed their theology. I mean, I, I think about my childhood and I felt like, cause my dad read through the Chronicles of Narnia with me from a young age, b- book one to book seven. Um, so and I felt like I had an understanding of a theological understanding because of those books that I otherwise probably wouldn't have had. Uh, and I think that poetry can do the same thing if, if, if for Christians. I think it can do the same thing for any sort of philosophy or religion or anything like that. I mean, think that, that you can beautifully portray the truths of the of of whatever 
whether for us, I mean, the Bible, um, beautifully portray those in ways that maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I shouldn't say this, but like, sometimes I just get bored of reading the Bible and sometimes I want things to be a little bit more like, I'm like, yeah, I've read the, I've read so many stories like a billion times, man. Like, let me get something more. And then, and then you watch like the Lord of the Rings or, or you, or I'm reading through the Hobbit and then the Lord of the Rings for the first time in my life now, which is ridiculous. But, um, and I start to experience some of the richness of the of those simple truths of the Bible, uh, like I'm experiencing them for the first time again because they're being said in different ways. And I think that that's incredibly important. Um, and for, for, to to keep things fresh, I, I think. Um, yeah. But well, uh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, art makes makes things strange, right? Mm-hmm. It makes you can't have something that is a cliche in a poem or it won't be a good poem. The demands of the form, like you have to find a fresh way to say it and it's got to be, and it can help, uh, it, it reframes uh, what you see for it to be relevant. And and it's, it's, it's a really, it's a great pleasure to have um, something that feels stale come out in a different way to help you you know, become attached to things that you knew but hadn't thought about, or maybe something new that you hadn't thought about before. Can I say one thing about that since there's no time limit? <laughs> one book that helped me so much was C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. His second book is Paralandra. And just yesterday, I actually used something from there with my four year old son. Because in there, it's a fresh world. The Eve is happy, always content. Everything she finds is beautiful. She loves it. Everything is good, right? She's in paradise. But she gets this fruit one day and the guy with her is like, wait, weren't you looking for something else? And she's like, yeah, but what does that matter? This is beautiful. This is amazing. This is what I want. And he's like, but you wanted the other thing. And she is taken aback. Like, this is a totally new thought. She goes... Mm -hmm. You're saying I could send my heart after something that isn't here and then I that would make this taste bad. And I was just mind blown in college. Yeah. And my son was doing that just this morning. He was like, I need to have the toy that my sister has. I need it. That's the only thing I want. Yeah. And I was like, buddy, can you let it go and think of something else that is here that you want? And yeah. just C.S. Lewis is really good at getting that strangeness to something so you can understand yeah. yourself. Totally. I've, I've been wanting to read the, the space trilogy for, for a while. I think, I think it could be interesting. I, I don't know anything about it, but I've heard, I've heard only good things about it. So, um, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so, I, so, so final thing, which I don't know if I wrote this or if Matt wrote this, but I'll read it as if I wrote it. Your poetry book was released. <laughs> Your poetry book was released in April 2022, and I've heard you have an upcoming release for the holiday season. What is that release? <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy, for your question. <laughs> we got an audiobook coming out, Andy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So wow. I, I, I love audiobooks. I feel like it can be hard to sit down and just do one thing. So to be able to have some in your ear while you're jogging or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing chores, doing the dishes, um, it's a way to access stuff and mm-hmm. uh, get to know uh, my sisters. I think they're great people. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, so check that out. Sweet. 
Yeah. SFCpoets.com will have a we'll have a yeah. release from there. Yeah. Or man, Instagram. It's very important uh, to have a good a, a person who's really good at reading the like I'm I'm listening to uh, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand right now. And regardless of what people think about that book, we don't have to get into that. But the guy who's reading it, I don't think I'd be as interested in it if the guy if somebody else, if I was like reading it on my own, the guy who's reading this book that I listen like the audiobook is amazing at, at reading books. And so that can add an extra like oomph to the, to, to the, to the book. And so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So where can people buy this book? Uh, is, is, I assume Amazon and everything like that. And Amazon. I'll have links yeah. in the description and everything. But. Yeah. Right now we're exclusively on Amazon. Um, so yeah, it's, 1078 right now it might go up a little bit for the holiday but um and you can get a soft cover um or you can get a kindle version if you if you have an e-reading device nice important yeah. detail it's called in sunshine or in shadow yeah so you Which, can type that <laughs> thank in, you for that type yeah. that into yeah. amazon uh, yeah. along with our <laughs> <Yeah>. names <laughs> Yeah, I'll put oh, yeah, in sunshine. We're number three. Yeah, yeah. I'll put in. I'll put a link in the description um, to to the Amazon, and then um, I'm sure I'll have in the in the in the title of this podcast the name of the book. I should, um, but I just want to say thank you guys for joining the podcast. This has been really fun. I always like it when um, I can talk to other people besides Nick. Sometimes, sometimes I need a break because he's so smart. And not that you guys aren't incredibly smart, but sometimes no, I feel like I'm always Nick, playing catch up. Nobody's a different kind of smart, yeah. right? I feel like yeah. I can relate. You know, sometimes I'm playing catch up with Nick. I'm like, I don't feel like I get to really like feel and 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 sit in the actual interview. I'm more just trying to make sure that i get through without sounding like an idiot in this podcast i don't feel that way i feel like i'm having a, i've had a really great time and i appreciate you guys so glad. coming on and, and you're and this book is great like I, I mean my wife and i have been reading through it and every single poem that we've read we've we've talked about it and we have had conversations about them and i think it's just been a really i mean great way for for her and i to to just have conversations about different different things that have happened in your guys' lives, which, which would be weird to say, but it's not, I guess, because you guys, we did it, it to ourselves. Yeah. yeah, you did it to yourself. So, um, that's my very long way of saying thank you guys for coming on this podcast. And, um, if you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends and give us a five-star rating. Make sure to go buy this book on Amazon. Uh, there'll be a link in the description and we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.